Welcome to the HIF Player, bringing Harrogate International Festivals into your home. This event was recorded live at the Feakston Old Peculiar Crime Writing Festival. Enjoy. Good afternoon again. Um, very often at these events, uh, we discuss books that are available and you've been able to read and we've been able to read. This is slightly unusual, although we have two people on stage who have read the book but may say very little about it. Um, the reason for that is that on the 27th of August, around the world, in at least 35 countries, uh, is published the fourth book in the Millennium Trilogy, as it were. Um, it is The Girl in the Spider's Web, or That Which uh, Does Not Kill Us, um, in the Swedish translation uh, of the English. And um, it, is the, it is the fourth book. Um, uh, uh, not written by Stieg Larsson, but written by um, David Lagerkrantz. And this session, um, we'll find out as much as we can about that book, but you're not going to do a reading, I assume, no. either of you. Uh, we have with us, we have the um, Swedish publisher and um, Stieg Larsson's um, original uh, editor, Ava uh, Geddin, and Christopher McElhose, whose McElhose editions here will publish the new book. And then um, N.J. Cooper, a uh, very familiar writer and guest of these festivals, and Barry Forshaw, who despite being English, is now really more Nordic than um, ABBA, uh, <laughs> IKEA, and Volvo put together. Uh, he's written so much about Scandinavian and Nordic crime fiction, including a biography of Stieg Larsson, uh, the man who left too soon. Um, I mentioned one anniversary or one date, which is the 27th of August, when the fourth book comes out, uh, but it's 10 years this year since the first book appeared in Sweden, so that's one anniversary. It's also an unusual event because, as you know, who come to this festival, um, the great writers, the great crime writers, the biggest selling crime writers from around the world come here to Harrogate. Um, Stieg Larsson, as we all know, was uh, never able to do that because um, he had died before the first book came out, so that again gives this. Uh, event, a slightly unusual quality. But as it's 10 years since the first book, um, appearing in Swedish, uh, seven years since it appeared in English, I thought we'd start with that, um, and I'll start with you, Barry, as to where the reputation of Stieg Larsson and his books stands now, because reputations, they come and they go. Mm. They fluctuate, I think, in terms of his reputation, it was fluctuating almost at the start because we knew that Christopher was publishing the book, so we assumed that this would be a literary thriller of the kind that he is most famous for. It turned out to be a kind of strange hybrid thriller, which had all kinds of different elements in. It was certainly literary. It also read like Thomas Harris. It read like Agatha Christie. It was a strange sort of bag in which lots of things have been thrown, but had this utterly compelling quality. He is controversial, and I know a lot of people regard the books as not elegantly written, and you wouldn't necessarily go to them for elegant writing the way to other writers. That's not, he is, a, he is an ace storyteller. And although his reputation has been in flux, that has remained. He also created Lisbeth Salando. Yeah, uh, hugely uh, influential, and we'll talk about some of the influence that there has been. Um, Ava, now, th this has been an extraordinary uh, 10 years uh, in your life, the way that those books have taken off and gone around the world. Just, just reflect on that. Um, it is a huge phenomenon now, culturally, in every sense. Um, what's your feeling now about 
that, that decade, that phenomenon? Have you become used to it? Yes and no, I, I should say. I can still be quite amazed uh, about the huge interest. So when we released the news about that we were going actually to do a fourth book, I was still quite shocked about the, the huge response uh, all over the world, actually. So, but yes, I have got used to it a little bit, but I think that's because it's been sort of a snowball effect. This wasn't, I mean, it was a quite um, good, good sales from the beginning and in Sweden, but it took some time, it took especially some time before someone picked it up in the English language. So it's been sort of growing. Um, but, and I can, but I remember when we sort of passed 10 million sold books and I couldn't sort of believe it. And after that, actually, I, I sort of lost track of the numbers because it became so huge. And Christopher McElhose, um, take us into those um, early moments when you were going to publish this book. Uh, I mean, did you say at a sales conference, mm, this is going to sell 70, 80 million global, uh, it's going to be number one bestseller in Britain uh, for, for several years. What, um, tell us the truth, what were your, est your expectations for the book? Well, taking the two questions, if you like, in, in order, no, I don't think anybody says, I don't think any, any editor or publisher ever says this book will sell any copies at all uh, worldwide. <laughs> uh, certainly not 80 million. That was beyond believing. And when the book came to us in the first place, it came in a very strange way in an English translation, which had been turned down by a very great number of English and American publishers for reasons which eventually emerged. And so I think we were a little cautious, but once the book was being read by people all over the house and being read by people in the street because we kept giving copies to people in the street of the proof, and every single time the reaction was super positive, and it didn't take long <coughs> before the sales overtook what would ordinarily have been the sale of a very, very good translated crime story. But then what happened was, as you know, the sales took off to a, a remarkable degree. The third book sold such a huge number of copies in its original hardback, I think unmatched uh, in recent years for any translated book possibly with the exception of Zlatan, which we'll come to in a minute. <laughs> um, but as to, as to the fourth uh, book in the... Well, wait, wait, I, I want to hold off on the fourth book. We'll mm. talk about that. Um, Christopher gave us a little preview there. Zlatan was um, a pre the previous bestseller by David Lagerkrantz, which was uh, the biography, auto yeah, biography of a footballer. Mm -hmm. No, the autobiography of a footballer, as he helped yes. him with it. So it's a curious thing, autobiography, biography, um, Ibrahimovic. Um, NJ, you um, described in Barry's book as a dissenting voice on Stieg Larsson, so let's find out how dissenting. Obviously, for everyone in the room, it would be tremendous if you were very dissenting. Well, I think it was a piece of absolutely genius publishing to sell 80 million copies of this book, and I am riveted to know why. To me, as a critic, I think there is one really powerful, superb novel buried in these three. 
the story of the child who was so abused by her father, by the state, by the medical profession, and by the care system, eventually getting justice, being heard, and having her case resolved, is something that I think everybody who at any stage in childhood ever said it's not fair responds to. It's a tremendously powerful psychological journey that I think we could, we could all admire. But then that, please forgive me, <laughs> then there are these chunks where as a novelist I think, ah, Yes, I might have sat there and thought, my target for today is 10,000 words. I'll take her to Ikea, and I'll say, she's not going to have the Billy chest of drawers because she doesn't like it. She's going to have the Sarah chest of drawers. And he does. He gives you the complete list of everything she buys for her flat. And then he tells you all about Fermat's last theorem. Well, most of us know what it is, and it doesn't add anything at all to ah, the plot. Ah, Andre, I'm going to slightly challenge that. Isn't he, in scenes like the one where she's choosing, and there are several of these, is he not trying to establish an obsessive-compulsive personality which relates to her superhacking? <laughs> I'm not sure he needs to do it at such length. <laughs> um, That's a concession, though, but he is, isn't he? That, I can see why, as a novelist, you'd want to do that, because but it, she's got a strange brain, and he's she's, showing She's that. got an extraordinary brain, but he shows it really interestingly mm. when she's hacking and when she's changing life, not when she's buying boring domestic... But yeah. That's also to do with the same thing. That we, the influences on Stieg Larsson are so wide-ranging. Everyone from Sarah Paretsky to Val McDermott to Frederick Forsyth to Ian Fleming, who gave you chapter See, and Peppy verse. Longstocking, famously. Uh, and Peppy Longstocking. Mm -hmm. But you would always get exactly what, yeah. what James Bond was wearing, yeah. how he applied his aftershave. But not in such chunks. Some of the people who've done the Ian Fleming subsequently have put in enormous chunks. Fleming did it very, very quickly. Um, and none of them have ever had a character shot in the head and buried and emerging at the end. <laughs> and I think one of the reasons why this, these very fat novels have done so incredibly well are that they are a fairy tale. Yes. Mm. They are absolutely yeah. a fairy tale. And before this panel, I was canvassing opinion for quite a long time, and I talked to one young man who loved them because... Blomqvist is a cool man. He's a free spirit. He does what he wants. And this bloke wanted to be like that. I was talking to my hairdresser, who's Swedish, and she loves Lisbeth because she does terrible things, but she's vulnerable, so you kind of like her, she said. I'm quoting all this. And I think everybody is projecting their fantasies onto this fairy tale, and that's why it does so well. In fact, so well. interviewing people for the book, I asked Camilla Lechberg what she thought of Elizabeth Salander. She said, I want to be Elizabeth Salander. Mm. Donald, I answered, why would you want to be such a seriously damaged woman? <laughs> Before we get to the fourth book, I just wanted to, something that Andre said, I want to try this out on you, Barry, that um, I know to your view as a critic that within those three books there is one book, but actually the fact that there were three of them, something has happened in publishing, hasn't it, Barry, that... Um, People, they want sequences. They mm. want Game of Thrones. They want long, long sequences yeah. of the same story. And Millennium uh, was perfectly placed. Uh, it was one of the first of those, actually. But there's a problem, and there's none of us except two people around this table that have read the fourth book. What do you do? And I'm really intrigued to find out what is going to happen to Elizabeth Salander 
because she goes through this three-book trajectory and achieves a kind of peace. Do you make her the same in the fourth book as she was at the beginning of the first book? That's almost kind of sadistic, as you just said. Does she have to suffer? Well, let's talk to the people who know, and they're probably almost certainly not, almost certainly not going to... Um, we'll tell you everything. <laughs> now, um, th this obviously, um, it is, the fourth book is controversial to a number of people. There are a number of controversies surrounding it, and so we've got to do those, um, and the audience may want to raise them. They'll certainly want to know. Um, so first of all, the simple question is, some people don't think there should be a fourth book at all, certainly one written by somebody else, David Lagerkrantz. Mm -hmm. So um, we have to address that, Ava. Why, why do we need, why should we have this fourth book? Well, if you don't need it, you shouldn't read it. That's very simple. And you can stick with the, the books that Stig Larsson wrote. Um, but um, I think I should actually sort of stress the fact that, yes, we had this idea that we maybe do a fourth book, but we, and this wasn't my uh, only my decision, it was of course the estate, which is the brother and the father, and we worked close like this during these ten years. Um, but it was sort of, but of course it's a good idea to, because you have a fantastic material here. He, Stieg Larsson left something that is in a way too good to, to, to just leave. Uh, but we were sort of uh, we weren't going to do it if we didn't find the right man or woman to do this, or pair, or whatever. So, so that why was also why we took our time. So, and just to be clear, which again we have to establish, which is much discussed online, um, there may be another fourth book somewhere else because. Mm -hmm. um, uh, his uh, his partner in his lifetime, Ava Gabrielson, there is. Um, reportedly, is all we can say really, there are reportedly a laptop that has uh, part of a fourth book and uh, reportedly outlines for five and six. Just to be clear, um, this book has nothing to do with anything that might be on a laptop anyway. No, not at all, because I, I have never seen a single word of this manuscript, so it has not at all. And it's also important to, to actually um, explain and be very uh, specific to say that this is David Lagerkrans book, it's not Stieg Larsson, it's not, it's not even sort of, uh, you know, made to, to do a copycat of Stieg Larsson. I think that's important too. Um, and also, uh, Christopher, to be fair, it's not, I mean, Stieg Larsson is not remotely the first writer that this has happened to. There are new Ian Flemings all the time now. Um, there are new Conan Doyle books. Uh, I mean, it, it's a fairly common publishing device. But again, it does worry some people. Did you have any qualms? I, I didn't. A long time had gone by. There is also the question. It was clear that Stieg Larsson had drafted a list, that's all I knew, of a number of books that he would in due course write. There is a sense that the, at the end of these three books, which, by the way, are not in any conceivable sense stylistically one book. They are three totally, totally different, different books, as if written by... No, NJ was making a cheeky critical point. Yes, 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 yeah. I get that. Um, <laughs> they do that. I'm <laughs> replying to that. It's what critics are for. But there was a, a strong sense that the story was left unfinished. That was my strong sense, although there is a certain kind of finality at the end of 
book three, and here you are in this book, the, the narrative which contains the people that all over the world are really admired and in some cases adored. You want their lives to go on. You want their work to go on. You want, if you like, Solander's sense of vengeance. How is she going to repair the world? Get your fairness right. Quite a lot of unfairness still. There may well be unfairness yet in the world after the fourth millennium novel. You'll see. Isn't she? Well, you may not want to read it, of course. Can I say another thing? I, I, another thing was that we have actually seen the impression that Lisbeth Salander has done on crime literature, films, TV series. You, you see uh, lookalikes uh, pop up here and there. So, and that has been my, one of my strongest feelings. It's been so good to go back to the original material and, mm. and be able to work from that point of view. Mm. Well, I think the Ian Fleming estate thought something similar, which is that if mm. so many people are doing James Bond imitations, mm. why yeah. can't they? Mm. But isn't the difference? Well? Yeah. The difference is crucial between Solander and James Bond and Sherlock Holmes. You can give them new cases, mm. and although Sherlock Holmes is damaged, it's still a new case you can tackle. James Bond, what do you do with Solander? Do you make her a tough operative who takes on new cases? There, oh, wow. will, there will always be people who will do dreadful things to her. She is mm. both um, an aggressor and a natural victim, which is what makes the fairy tale work. Mm, yeah. So is and this... Sorry, Ava. Mm. And I think that you're completely right. That One of the things that I think is why people do like this book is because the evil is so evil and bad and the good is so very good and, and the good guys wins in the end. It's very relieving, actually. Uh, she's, she's also a little like, as Christopher just said, Batman, mm. because she's motivated by vengeance. Mm. Batman has taken care of the men who killed his parents, but the rest of his life is devoted to this consuming neurotic passion. Barry's been speculating about what's in this book, and before you and Christopher do your reading from the um, fourth book, <laughs> yeah. um, something that has just appeared on, uh, well, I mean, it, some time ago, appeared on a website, and um, it's this, I mean, the plot that is being circulated is um, US intelligence uh, files are hit by a super hacker. They contact um, Mikhail Blomqvist, the journalist. They think it's Lisbeth Salander up to her work and he doesn't. Is that broadly the case? Mm, not really. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't recognize uh, much of that part, um, no. <laughs> what do you no, say? No, I, don't, I, I was about to say I don't recognize that book, but um, <laughs> it could be done. <laughs> well, maybe that can be number five. In the, um, but in the general point that Barry's been asking, whether, uh, whether David Lugrantz has started from scratch, as it were, or whether he's continued the trilogy? It's a continuation, uh, yeah. That, so much I can say, yes. <laughs> mm. uh, can I say one, one more thing? Is, David Lagerkrantz, uh, brilliantly elected for this role, is an extremely good writer, but in addition to that, he's a narrative genius, and what he has done with the characters that he has picked up is, to my mind, absolutely exceptional. And an interesting thing has occurred within the last three weeks or so, that the publishers around the world who have been waiting patiently or impatiently for their translations, mm -hmm. which in our case had delivered 10 pages at a time every few days, a week, and so on, 
have for the first time had the opportunity to read the book from the beginning to the end in one go. And when I did that, I put the last page down and I said, this is absolutely brilliant and precisely the same response has come from America and Canada and Italy to my knowledge in mm. emails and that Norway I've had in the last Denmark. few days. Yeah. This is fascinating because you were reading 10 pages at a time. This is how translators work. They start at the beginning and they <laughs> deliver chunks because right. you say, can I have more, 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 more? They say, you can, but wait, wait, wait. So you get it like that and you read it but there is no continuity, and eventually you get it all in one place, and you edit the translation, and you read the thing through, which I did, whatever it was, 18 days ago. It's stunning. I can't wait. Mm. <laughs> ah, I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> well, that's um, because we talked earlier about why it might have been a success, uh, such success, the trilogy, and um, NJ mentioned the central storyline, the one that she likes, which is the, um, the young girl who's been severely abused and the consequences of that. But I think there are two other things. You see, I think if you look at what publishing wanted and what readers wanted, say, 10 years ago, um, they wanted uh, strong female characters, which clearly that's delivered in a big way. I also think, very prescient, in that the idea of a super hacker, if you look at what has subsequently happened with Edward Snowden yes. and uh, Julian Assange, mm. I mean, that seems to me, ex he was extraordinarily prescient in that way, wasn't yes. he, Barry? He was, and he's prescient in so many ways. It's a, clearly an amazing mind, of course, mm. you, you yeah. knew him. Mm. It's, a, it's this kind of strange polyglot mind that takes on all these influences mm. from Sergio Leone Westerns mm. to comic strips mm. to science fiction, mm. junk TV, and all of it comes out, he's fairly unique in that respect. I think that's why NJ doesn't really like him, because it is all a little unshapely. I, ha I have to say here, it's not doesn't like him. I never knew the man, and by all accounts, he was a wholly admirable man. There is nothing personal here. But if, if, if I had been given a free choice, I would have removed everything about what had happened to Harriet. I wasn't interested in her. I wasn't interested in her family. I thought, we've been here before. Serial killers, serial abusers. Give me the core. Mm. But as I say, Ava, to me, the, the most impressive core of it is the, the, the super hackers, the fear of the state of surveillance. Mm. That's become astonishingly more and more current yeah. in most countries since mm. he wrote them. Mm. I mean, yeah. that's a huge issue now, isn't it, everywhere? It is. No, I, I think it's, it's quite amazing what, how, what he, he could foresee things uh, a lot. He also, what we see uh, in uh, right-wing uh, parties now mm. um, emerging in in but Parliament. She, isn't in she different? She's different, from, she's different from Snowden and people like that. Because they're driven by ideology. She's not driven by ideology. She's strangely distant because she's not really part of the human race like the rest of mm. us. That's oh, not why she... You know, I think, oh, no, I think she has, she has motivation, hasn't she? Well, why is she doing it then? Just to... Well, it is, as, as Christopher said, it is it's, revenge. It's vengeance. Mm. Yes, it mm. It's vengeance. Which could be the case, uh, we don't know, that could be the case in Snowden or Assange. I mean, it's a fairly common human, uh, a, 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 a hatred of the state or of the way that things are run. But, but, but on, on the personal revenge is a very strong driving force for, for Salander. But aren't all the books also about the way we, the male sex, treats the female sex? And I made the point to NJ that, that um, he gets away with this because this is clearly a feminist book. 
You are not persuaded. I am well, not as we know, persuaded. Because the story that has often been told is what the, the real title of the original book yeah, is. Well, the Swedish title is Men Who Hate Women, mm. the first book in the Millennium Trilogy. And, and that's actually the only thing I wanted to change, uh, or major change, or Stieg thought that was you know, something he wouldn't compromise about. Uh, so we kept the title. Um, his, yeah. his other prescience in publishing terms is introducing the word girl as the title mm. of virtually all Don't um, get me started. No, I, I'd, quite, I'd quite like to get you um, started. So the, the English, which we'll discuss in a moment, the English publications here introduce the idea of the girl who, the girl who, um, the, the girl on a train, girl gone, it's quite astonishing. But Laura Wilson has published The Wrong Girl, and this is about a girl, under 12. Um, I... I Salander is an adult woman. Um, I think it's, I think it's dreadful. Let's bring in the English <laughs> publisher here. So the um, the choice of the word girl to describe. But um, then, but then, then it refers to her in the past. And then it? actually, Stig said it that refers to her when, when she was a girl. When yeah. we, in yeah. our discussions, right. he said Salander is a 20-something woman, but she looks as she was 14 years old. That was how he described her. Even not even 12, yes. but. And the girl who played with fire is a reference to her past. Are you persuaded? I am, I am not persuaded, but I'm also <laughs> not persuaded that, that the book is a feminist book. Um, I think there's a very fine line between showing why the bad are really bad in the terrible, terrible rape scene and writing something that other people are going to enjoy. And I'm... I'm not saying for one second that he wrote it for titillation, but I think you have to be terribly, terribly careful. And I also, since we're on this subject, take great exception to the fact that Blomqvist more or less expects every woman to yeah. want to drop her knickers mm. for him. He He's prides, a middle-aged male journalist, it happens, doesn't he? <laughs> he, I have to tell he you. prides himself on the fact that he's never forced anybody, and if anybody shows any disinclination, he, he just lets them go. He doesn't do anything. But he also, in the novels, Larson also shows that both Salander and Cecilia Vanger yes. loved him, but were too decent and good to press their emotions on him, to trouble him with the fact that, he, that, that they loved him. I think this is a really grotesque fantasy that you make women love you, but you are too important to be bothered with their emotions. It made me really, really angry. It's very interesting that well, all the film versions It's interesting because we actually had discussions, me right. and Stieg, about this. But he, what he said is, what I made in Blomqvist is a male slut, so, sort of. But, and I can, I can agree a bit with you. It doesn't right. work all the time. But he was very amused by that idea of sort of changing the roles in that way. But I was about to say, it's interesting that the number of sexual conquests are cut down in both film versions. Mm. They do not, he, Blomqvist doesn't get to sleep with as many women in the films. I think they agreed with Daphne, the screenwriter, yeah. it was not realistic. <laughs> and then, Sorry, you have, then you have Salander and her way to, to... You do, and that's another one that makes me fantastically angry. After the, not happy? After the terrible, terrible rape, there is a scene which um, Larson produces as 
tender lovemaking between Mimi Wu and Salanda, when Mimi ties her up and blindfolds her, and Salanda enjoys it. I think this is a failure of imagination and a serious misunderstanding of female psychology and sexuality. I really, really do. Sorry, I'm getting <laughs> no, no, angry. No, no, sorry. Um, we, you're being very, very um, good about this because you are inevitably getting all the yeah. criticism. But yeah. do you want to come back on that? One? Uh, I didn't write the book, no. so you should, but but no, I'm no, not angry I, with you I, The for only a thing I can say, yeah. you can read it in different ways, and of course, and I have read other uh, voices who has been quite that he has been criticised mm. for, for, but he was a strong feminist and. And he, it was very important for him. And also in the first book, you have these um, facts, small pieces of facts about Swedish female women, how many is yes. beaten in their homes every day, how many percentage, and, that, and that's quite effective. And, and, so and you these have are that very important oh, facts yeah. to get out those, those and are, they Some of the other things I think is he's true to the genre, to the crime genre, he's, you know, in certain ways. Mm. But the male sex takes such a beating in those books. I spoke to the actors and the director and even the composer who worked on the Swedish film. The male actors working on the film had to be talked down after each scene, after the rape scene. The actress, Numi Rapaz, had to say, you are acting, you are acting. Mm. All the men working on the movies felt dirty. Mm. So this is not a kind of wish-fulfillment male mm. fantasy or rape fantasy. But the, but the difficulty is, it isn't, it isn't the intention that has the effect. The intention may be really, really good, but the people can use well-intentioned stuff for very unpleasant reasons, very unpleasant motives. Hey, uh, Christopher. Well, uh, well-intentioned. I, mean, I think one, I wouldn't be selling the Millennium Trilogy in the way that you two are setting about selling it. And what I would really like nobody to forget is how Stieg Larsson led his life and how he came to die, working himself absolutely to the bone. Apart from writing the novels in the middle of the night, this man gave every last farthing that he had to build up Expo magazine. And what he did with it to expose, in the books he is exposing something very dark and unpleasant about Swedish society, which Swedish society hasn't sorted out yet. But in his working life, he's exposing or telling everybody who is willing to listen about the increasing racism of his countrymen. And I believe that he gave his life to that because he died in a certain way, trying in the middle of the morning, utterly exhausted, walking up his his five-story steps because there was no lift and, and, and had a heart attack because he hadn't slept or eaten properly or anything. He gave his life for other people. And well, this is what I meant when I said he was, by all accounts, a highly yeah. admirable man. I, none of my criticisms are anything to do with the man. On the subject of the man, though, Visava, this is one thing you can do for us that almost nobody else can because inevitably Steve Larson is an absence in this kind of discussion. But you knew him and worked with him um, so give us a sense, I mean, you've, given, you've talked about having conversations with him, writers, there are some writers who don't, won't accept any fault no. or won't have any, mm. give us a sense of what it was like he to was, be in a conversation with him. He was quite the opposite. The, the only thing is, what, what Christopher says, he was very hard to get, he worked so hard, so we had problems actually have proper meetings. 
so we we talked a lot over the phone and email so and of well i knew him for 9 months so he's not you know i don't know him that well but we worked really close together with the text and he was you know too good to be true as an author because he was so he thought and i think it's also because he had been writing those books for many years uh, so when it was decided we were going to publish and the editing started he was just very happy about it and really wanted to discuss details and really wanted to hear what we said and what we thought and all the uh, comments we had and actually we we cut some parts of that lengthy <laughs> so but that was in in the style of the book and mm. so so you can't as Barry say, it's, you can't sort of take that away. You have to be true to what he wanted and so on. But he, so, yeah. But on the question that um, NJ was raising earlier about the shape of the books as we have mm -hmm. them, and she, mm -hmm. um, I, I mean, this is a what if. I understand it's an upsetting what if, but if you had had the writer available for mm -hmm. another three, four years, whatever, would you have won, would, would the books have significantly changed? Would a lot more work have been done on them if, if, you, if they could have been? The, if he had written if he had, if he, uh, no, number if, four if, Well, if he had been, no, if, if he had lived and been no, available no, for a longer actually, editing process, well, would... Pro, we, I was quite careful with the third one because we didn't have time. We had not done that in detail, but the first two books were, were thoroughly edited. So that uh, were, it, were no problem, no. actually. So... And in the third, um, by respect uh, of not having him there, we were a bit more <coughs> careful. But on the other side, we also, me and the line editor, knew a lot of how he thought and what was important and other things that he would, you know, we could change because he wouldn't mind. Um, so, no, I think they would have been as they are. Um, I'm very interested on, on this score in something that, that comes in the book, in the first volume. Berger thought the book was the best thing Blomqvist had ever written. It was uneven stylistically, and in places the writing was actually rather poor. There had been no time for any fine polishing. Um, I thought that was a very interesting little yeah. piece in it. <laughs> he was, you know, he was bragging a little about how he, because he had written non-fiction books before, mm. and and published them uh, himself or at small publisher, and how fast, how hard he worked, and how fast you could actually produce a book in just a couple of weeks, because sometimes. It was necessary because of the um, the themes of the book. It was, thought. Uh, but here at the beginning we said we are going to take our time. I mean, we had the manuscript in uh, in the beginning of 2004, and we said we are going to publish them in the fall 2005. Uh, and but he was never shocked by that. I think he was quite. Uh, happy with and that interested in every detail of editing and typing and you know all all that detail so um, but he i think uh, he he was uh, he's playful he's playful with the genre and he's playful with his with himself and with what he sees and hears and and what his maybe notions of being a writer or being 
I think that may be why I get so uncomfortable with some of the scenes. It's the contrast between the playfulness and mm. the serious bits. Mm. And playfulness can make the serious bits more intense, but it can also... I, I think that has something to do mm. with it. Mm. We're going to open up to the audience um, in a moment, but just a couple more. Um, we all know from our own lives that the, the question of what a dead person would have wanted is one of the most difficult things, uh, one of the most sensitive things you can decide. But, I mean, clearly you, you are both confident that um, he, he would have been happy about the sequence continuing. Uh, he would have been happy. We would all have been happy if he would be still alive and go on writing and fulfill his dream being a crime writer on full time. So I think that question is obsolete. You can't pose it because if he would be alive, he would be writing these books. Why we are doing a fourth book by David Lagerkrans is because he died. Um, so no, but some writers have a view. I mean, it is said. I mean, I was told of a yeah. quite famous writer the other day who has put in their will that mm. their central character must not be continued by any other person after their death. Mm. I mean, it's a view. Mm. So the question of what he would have wanted yeah. is still. But then you have this, I mean, uh, you see how films and books and characters mm. influence everything, mm. uh, everywhere. Everyone is borrowing things. And, and he himself were making, um, he talked about uh, American crime writers, a lot of British crime writers, Val McDermid, Elizabeth George. He gives name he checks. He talks mm. about the, Astrid Lindgren's mm. Pippi Longstocking. Mm. So he was very open with where he got his influences from. And he was so also a commercial writer, yeah. and he knew about commercial imperatives. Mm. I feel he would have been happy to think that Elizabeth London was living on. He would rather have been writing her himself. Yeah, but he would accept maybe a bit amused and interested <laughs> to see what would happen, but I, I think it's an impossible question. But, and then you have the legal thing. Mm. We could never, I can't decide this as a publisher, so it's been, and it's been a quite thorough and long discussion between us and the estate. Mm. And all the pros and cons, and we knew that it, this was going to be discussed. I think it's a good discussion. I think it's good that writer themselves are thinking of what will happen when I pass. So, so that's, it, it's important. If we can contribute to that, that's mm. all good. And the position from now on is that it's presumably, it's up to the estate, it's up to his father and his brother, how, how many more books there might be. That would be discussion between you and them. Yes, but now we're talking about the fourth book, so we're, we're all focused on, on, on that one. I know, but have you, are, you, are you thinking to the fifth? or? We'll, we'll see. <laughs> and then this is an impossible question for anyone to answer, but I'll try it. Barry, what, um, just take a punt for us. Um, this, the laptop with these outlines and possibly another fourth book, um, what's your bet? Do you think anything will ever see the light of day from there? It would appear not from what mm. you say about the dispute mm. between the partner mm. and the estate. Mm. The book will forever remain in limbo, and maybe that's not a bad thing, that we won't ever know what that fourth book by him is. Well, we don't, actually, we don't even know if it existed, do we? Or Seems do we? to be f several hundred pages, is that but the story? But then, again, when I'm not sure how, how, if he, of course he wrote something, and we talked about it. He was talking about things that maybe could, he could use in, 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 uh, in books coming, uh, but it could also be an outline for things happening in a book four and five and six, you, you know, every author works in very different ways, and, uh, and since he was 
still finishing the third one uh, during this time. Uh, I can't figure out how much he could have written on a fourth mm. or fifth <laughs> book. Uh, but but if, the, if we would have had an unfulfilled manuscript, the case would have been totally different and how mm. to work with that. Mm. And what, what, what would you do then? Maybe just publish it well, they exactly finished Charles as Dickens, it is. Edwin yes. Rood, and so there's lots of unfinished uh, books which have been satisfactorily Which finished. have been finished by others, mm. yeah, indeed. Mm. But and it's terribly romantic, uh, this idea that there is another one that may never see the mm. light of day. Mm. And it's, it's that bit of, of Keats, isn't it? Heard melodies are sweet, but those unheard are sweeter. <laughs> And before, just before we open up to the audience, finally, so we started with um, reflecting on the reputation of the books in Stieglarschen, effectively in this country. So in, in, in Sweden, give us a sense, what, what is his reputation there now? Stieg Larsson yeah. and his book. Well, since we sold sort of 3.5 million books, it's, you know, nearly everyone has read them. But since then, there has come a lot of new uh, Swedish crime fiction after Stieg Larsson, so um, he's not forgotten uh, and clearly not now when we are doing something new, but he, he's got a, a, a good reputation, yeah, yeah. And um, okay, if we could bring the lights up and we've got microphones. Um, as you probably guessed, um, detailed plot questions about the fourth book would probably be um, are not going to yeah, get very far, but um, any other questions uh, we will take. So, um, can anyone see better than I can? Go on, who would like to start? Um, yes, there's a hand over there, if we could get um, a lady there, if we can get the microphone round. Hi. Uh, when is the fourth book due to be published? In 27th of August, yes. yes. 27th of August, um, simultaneously around the world. Uh, and, yes, um, there's a hand there. I can see a gentleman. We're just getting a microphone round to him. Thank you. Uh, now, this is a question. Uh, assuming Stig had actually lived, the book had sold similar numbers, how would he have dealt with the wealth? Well, how would I know? But I know <laughs> one thing that he said, if this is going to go really well, it, it'll go, it'd be my sort of retirement fund. Then I can cut down on my job and let the young people at the, um, at the magazine uh, take over. And, and his dream was actually to be a writer full time. And for, for that, you need some money. But at that, he would never have dreamt of, you know, selling 80 million copies. No one would ever. And surely do he that. would have given money to all the 101 but, causes that he followed. Yeah, and, and, all but, the world. and he said, if this goes well, I will written another book, write another book like the fourth book. And then all the royalties from that book will go to Expo. And this is exactly what the estate will do now with the fourth book. Expo, that is the magazine and the foundation that... That, that, all, that all the royalties will go to Expo. Yeah, from the estate, yes. Right. Mm. And they have made donations during the years, big donations to, to good causes and a lot to, to Stig's magazine and foundation, Expo. Um, I, I, I can't see very well the very back behind... But is there anyone... Do people have better eyes than me here? And also, we're looking into the sunlight as well. Um, is anyone at the back section? 
do shout out if you do. Um, anyone on this side who would like to? There's yes. One, there's one here. We've got a hand there. Will you tell us a bit about the actual author of this fourth book, uh, his background, how he was uh, chosen, etc.? Uh, Christopher, do you want to tell you? As we said, he, he wrote um, a, a very well-received and well-selling book about um, Zlatan Ibrahimovic. 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 Yes. Ibrahimovic. Yes. Yes, yes, got it. Mm -hmm. And um, a good book about Alan Turing. Yes, Alan yeah. Turing, that's mm -hmm. right. Well, he wrote he wrote uh, uh, several novels, and but he has he has written novels based on or and biographies, but nearly all the books has been based on um, you know a famous inventor, Swedish inventor was for one book, and another one was uh, a Swedish adventurer uh, climbing uh, high hills, and and he's done that uh, and done it. You know, like the Slatan book, it's uh, an autobiography with fiction quality, um, and he's been a journalist uh, at the Swedish evening papers for many years. So, so he has that background too. Um, it also struck me, Abi. You probably know that um, with, for example, James Bond or Sherlock Holmes, the estate put restrictions on what the new writer could do with the character. Mm -hmm. that, <clears throat> they couldn't make them gay or whatever, or a, mm. or a serial killer. I mean, with Lisbeth, there's... I mean, you could do anything, couldn't you? She's done it pretty much all Yes, but already. you still have to be sort of true to Lisbeth so, right. and to Bloomfist. Um, mm. so but you've got quite a lot of range there, haven't you? With I have, haven't yeah. you, really? But uh, that's the one thing I worry about, and I'm sure I'll enjoy the book immensely. And we will all read it, will we not? I, think I don't know. NJ, have you got yours ordered from um, an online <laughs> bookseller? I am expecting that it will lead my August column of reviews, probably, if yeah. I get it in time. If not, it'll be September. Alre already the literary editors are, are winding up to, to, to ask people to review I it. I will certainly I review it. I shall be absolutely riveted. And his father was a literary critic, wasn't he? Lagerkrantz. Uh, yeah, yes, David Lagerkrantz, yes, 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 yes. yes. Mm. a huge... Uh, so coming so from a very boxy, well, very boxy background, it'll mm. be very interesting to see. You are going to read it, aren't you? Of course it, I will, yeah. of course yeah. I will. With an entirely open mind. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, I should, be, I, should be, I should be really, really, really interested to see how somebody has taken this and run with it mm. and made it the same but his own, mm. which is the way he has to. Mm. Can I just say one thing? I, I don't read all the sequels that have been commissioned over the last 20 years, obviously. Life would be, <coughs> would be too short. But I don't remember anybody saying that William Boyd's or Sebastian Fawkes's version of Fleming was even more interesting than the original. But I wager you, all of you, that when people have read David Lagerkrantz's Millennium novel, some will say, unlike Stephen King, who thinks the book is terrific but the style a little wooden, I think they're going to say the same narrative energy force, absolutely magnetic attraction of this book is just as it was in Stieg Larsson's book. But actually, in some ways, the book is even better, more literary, if you like, but unputdownable. I can't wait, as I said. I really, really That's can't. Some. Barry, that's an interesting question, I think, isn't it? That um, the reason that people 
even very, very good writers found so hard to do James Bond continuations, is that Ian Fleming, and hasn't been given enough respect for this, mm. is a very considerable stylist and has a very precise way of using metaphor. But things can be done, and this is not a spoiler, I promise you. Anybody started to read the new James Bond book, The Andy Horowitz, there are copies around. Mm. James Bond opens the book, he's in bed with pussy galore. It's two weeks after Goldfinger, and what's brilliant about the book, what's so clever about Andy Horowitz has done, is it's what happens to the Bond girls after the, the Bond book. Where do they go? What happened to Pussy Galore? This book tackles that very issue. So you can take an existing franchise or an idea and do something fairly radical something with it. Mm. But you're absolutely right. When I reviewed the Sebastian Falk's James Bond for the Toronto Globe and Mail, I did quote two paragraphs about Bond doing press-ups and taking off his towel. And the Fleming one was so precise, and the Folks one was so flabby that I didn't really need to fill mm. up the rest mm. of my four pages. You're right, Mark. He's a, he was a considerable stylist. He really was. Which is hard to match. Yeah. Um, anyone at the very back, can you have a look for me? Is there, I just don't want people to go home not being had a chance. So no one at the back. Um, we're just sort of coming to the end of this, but anyone... Don't go home. Yes, a hand has gone up there. Hand over there. <laughs> Well, since we're talking about uh, foreign literature, I, um, I was just interested to find out more about the translating process. And have I understood it right that the translators were given to translate 10 pages at a time? Is that what you said? No, I, let me clarify that. The translator is elected from all the translators who might be available to do this work. In this particular case, unusual, there was a time frame. It was absolutely necessary in order to keep up with the Swedish publisher's determination that the book would be published in every country in the world on the 27th of August. And by the way, if you're in a great hurry, you should go to New Zealand, where the 27th of August <laughs> gets uh, <laughs> even sooner. But you'll be on my ticket. You yeah. will, yeah. Um, the in this case, we found the translator who was, is the translator of David Lagercrantz's very, very interesting novel about the death of Alan Turing, uh, which is called Fall of Man in Winslow. And he said, I will deliver this book on such and such a date, and I will make it easier for you to edit my translation, check my translation, by delivering it 10, 20, 30 pages at a time. And that is what he did unfailingly right the way to the end. And because there is in this book, as you will anon discover, a great deal of very interesting, extremely intricate, what I would call quite high-tech material, he had to do much more than many translators ever have to do in a lifetime. This he also did. But it wasn't 10 pages at a time just to provoke us. It was that he was sending it by the way, encrypted, exasperating, um, and we disencrypted it bit by bit by bit by bit and read it in bits. And there what? was a question over there. Yeah, a question over there. I can see an orange, orange hand arm. Um. So given the in incredible interest that's going to be uh, generated by this book, have you already sold the film and TV rights for the book? 
it, it is not uh, Nordstedt's who, who's got the rights for the film or, or dealing the rights for the film. Uh, but there are a huge interest. Because uh, that would be the estate again, would it? Yes, yeah. yeah. So I, I can't really answer that question. But it wouldn't uh, be Numi Rapace and it wouldn't yeah. be Rudy Mauro anymore. And could you, could you pass... Have you still got a microphone? Oh, right, it's the gentleman in front wanted to. OK, I think this will be the last question, but we'll take this. Hello. Uh, uh, Sweden's had uh, a really fine tradition of crime writers, going back to Cyril and Walu and through to Henning Mankel. Just wonder what the panel thinks of Stieg Larsson's... Uh, where does he stand in the kind of hierarchy of Swedish crime fiction? I'd say Henning Mankel is the stylist and is kind of the breakthrough. He is, he is the better writer, but the two titans, unquestionably, are Joe Nesbo and Stieg Larsson. It almost doesn't matter about the literary merits. Those two stand so clearly ahead of the rest in terms of reach and sales. Did you? Uh, did I mishear you? Jo Nesbo, a Swedish yes. writer? Surely no, not. He's no, did you say Swedish? Apologies. Yeah. Swedish, but you said yeah. Scandinavian. So. That leaves Henning Mankell all by himself. Well, I, I don't share Stephen King's um, sort of end-of-term report about Stieg Larsson, a wooden writer. How can a wooden writer sell 80-plus million copies around the world? I don't see people walking around saying, goodness, this is a wooden book. <laughs> this is a book that has been read from cover to cover over and over again. I, I would say I published Henning Mantle and I adored his books. I think that the sheer force of narrative takes Stieg Larsson past Henning's work. That's my private view. And Ava, you've probably read more Swedish writing than any of us. Well, so. but, but I only read, I mostly read, the, I mean, my own <coughs> writers. But uh, yes, I, 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 I do think he's one of the best. I, I, I do think you Nesby is a great writer too. And also Larsson, if no one, if mm. we, ne, you haven't read Larson also Larsson. The other Larsson is a terrific writer. Also yeah. Larsson, mm. yeah. And on the, um, just some of the points that um, NJ raised and many critics have about the, the sexual politics of the books, um, David Lagerkrantz, through no fault of his own, is male. Did it ever occur to you to get a woman to take on this? Yes, of course. Mm. We, we thought of everything and everyone, and uh, yeah. But in the end, we, it was, you know, finding the right author for this. Because that would be interesting, I think, to find out what a woman made of the I characters. I think it would be very interesting, and there's no comment, there's no criticism in this. It would be very, very interesting to know how this book, these three books, would have been received had they been written by a woman. So I'm sort of turning your question mm. back. Mm. I don't know. Mm. Would a, probably would different. Mm. I'm sure it would be mm. different. But when women write about sexual violence, they're criticised too. Yeah. So there is no get-out-of-jail-free card for women writers mm. writing about sexual violence. As we violence. know, there are people in this room who... No, but I think maybe, not to, to be bad in any way, that, uh, that criticism that you have against Stieg writing about um, Salander one moment being raped and the other... Uh, having uh, a love scene with with, with a, a kind female, of rape fantasy. would have been read in another way if it was mm. a it female would. It would. author, and I think it so would have been written in a different mm. way. No. Okay, well that that debate can continue. Yeah. Thank you very much to Christopher McElhose and to um, Ava Geddin. Um, if you get them very drunk in the bar, they might just leave a copy <laughs> of the book um, <laughs> around. 
Um, <clears throat> if, they, if they don't, you'll have to wait till August the 27th. Thank you very much to Barry uh, Forshaw and to NJ Cooper. Um, you will notice, being extremely alert and bright readers, that there won't be a, an ordinary author signing after this um, session, but uh, people around the uh, table who have written various books will be signing their copies, and I am told that there is a certain value in having copies of Stieg Larsen's books signed by his publishers, so that is also available to you. Thank you very much to all of you as well. Thanks. And to you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this event by Harrogate International Festivals. For more events, recordings, resources, and information about our arts charity, please visit harrogateinternationalfestivals.com.